Hello, welcome to the Richard Herring podcast feed powered by ACAST Plus. Thanks so much for listening to these. Do tell your friends if you enjoy them. The Can I Have My Ball Back Tour is back on the road this week. We're in London on the 7th in the Bloomsbury Theatre and Leicester Square Theatre on the 9th. I've got quite a lot of tickets to sell for both of those, so if you're in London, please come along. Then the 13th in Cambridge, few tickets left for that one. Uh, Leicester on the 14th, Leeds on the 15th. Uh, Salford on the 16th, Newcastle on the 17th, which is sold out on the website, but I think there might be a few more tickets to release. Uh, So do come along if you want to see me talk about my balls and one of them not being here anymore. It's a very funny show. Four star reviews in the Telegraph and the Standard. Um, Anyway, look, let's sit back, relax and enjoy another fantastic podcast from Richard Herring, the genius podcaster. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the ballroom at the Assembly Rooms. Please welcome a man who has spawned the enemy. It's Richard Herring. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, hello. Oh, how lovely to see you all. Thank you for... Thank you for coming out on a... Is it Tuesday afternoon? Is it Tuesday? I don't know what day. I don't know where I am or what's happening already. It's, I'm only doing a short run and I'm, I'm already bamboozled uh, and feeling the, the weight of the past crushing me down. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Welcome to Richard Herring's Legally Searching Trump podcast. Um, yeah, if you're listening at home, it was a couple of weeks ago. Hi. You'll know what's happening. Is he in prison yet? Uh, but uh, I was talking to the FBI, and according to documents in Trump's safe, he was trying to uh, stop everyone uh, calling it realist of us. I don't know if that's what he was doing. That's what he was up to all that time. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, I have... Um, uh, yeah, I, well, I, I'm, I'm sort of slightly bamboozled by Edinburgh. It's, the, the, the first podcast of the Edinburgh one went out yesterday, and it feels like I recorded that three months ago and it went I went oh it was five days ago that I recorded it so that's insane and it just even though I'm only doing 12 days I've still got the thing where there's always six shows to go wherever we're at there's only five now and it still still feels like so however long you do you can't escape the 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 time machine of Edinburgh Uh, we went to see another show yesterday I'm going to go mainly to kids shows uh, we went to see uh, Comedy for Kids, which if you've got kids... Oh, if you, I mean, if you haven't, it might be a bit weird to go. Uh, but go anyway. It was really good fun. Uh, and what I found interesting about it... It's just a stand-up show for kids, so it's got no, no one saying fuck in it, hopefully. Uh, and uh, that's, why I, that's why I haven't done it, because uh, I'm not sure I can, I can do that. And, I, and I'm sort of slightly worried about my kids swearing, because uh, they do, because <laughs> of me. I'm a terrible father. Why am I admitting this? Uh, and... Um, uh, it was sort of interesting that even though I didn't say to my kids, and I'm sure no one else did, that this is different than another gig, that they, they instinctively knew that they were supposed to shout stuff out at the, the acts. It was kind of, and all the kids did it, but my son particularly did it. There was a puppet called uh, Randy Feltface, I think it's called. Brilliant. It's a brilliant puppet, and the guy did, uh, did really well with it, but... Uh, my son just kept on shouting, you're a dummy head, you're a dummy head, until he had to go, what are you saying? And then, because he was under a table, he couldn't really hear for ages, so my son was just shouting, you're a dummy head. He was correct, it was a dummy's head on this head. Uh, and uh, he finally got it, and then all the kids started calling the puppet dummy head. And it was, you know, I, I realised, you know, my son, he's the enemy, I'm a comedian, he's a heckler, that is... 
I've created, it's like Darth Vader and uh, isn't it? it's all the Sith. I've created. Um, I sent my, well, my kids actually offered to leaflet for me yesterday and they went out leafleting. Uh, and my daughter came home, she was very, came back to the flat and said, uh, she was very proud, said, I gave out nine leaflets. <laughs> and my wife, yeah. Better than uh, my current lot, eh? Hey, no, they're very good, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. They're extremely good. Uh, Ernie gave out five. Uh, is anyone in? Uh, there was a video of them giving them to two Chinese tourists, which I, you know, I think it's good that they don't uh, discriminate and don't they treat everyone equal, but that isn't really my audience. I don't think. <laughs> Did anyone come because a child about this high gave them a leaflet yesterday? Fuckers. <laughs> Useless fuckers. Uh, so, but it's good. It's, it's, they haven't realised they could get paid for that yet. I mean, admittedly. Not much. Ask my current lifters about that. Um, all right, look, we're going to crack straight on. Uh, we've got a fantastic guest, a record-equaling seventh appearance on this podcast for this guest. Though he actually did host this podcast on one occasion when I was the guest. So I don't think that probably means it's sort of better than... Uh, than, than I, you know, he's not better than Adam Buxton. No one, no one thinks that. No one thinks that. He'll take that to heart. Uh, he's probably best known for his portrayal of Jove in Funny Valentines. That's why we're here today. Will you please welcome the amazing John Robbins, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is, John Robbins. Oh. Hello, everyone. Seventh time. You should get, like, a little blazer or something, shouldn't you, for the seventh? I should get a blazer. Blazer, you've also now run out of all my credits. <laughs> There's no more. If I came on again, you'd have to just say, Jesus, just him, that's who you'll, he is. You'll do something rubbish between now and <laughs> next year. That was a rare acting job for you, Joe. You've done... In fact, you've only got two acting credits, and one of them is Drunk History, which I don't think can count. That's not acting. I was not acting on Drunk History. <laughs> I, was, I was very drunk. Yeah, I don't get asked to ever audition for anything. No. <laughs> I, don't, I think you sort of have to really chase it if you want to be an actor. Because yeah. I think, like, I sort of sit back and go, well, I'll wait for the offers to come to me. And about once, every, well, twice in lockdown, I got offered two things over Instagram, which turned out to be films. But that's the first time that it's... I, I don't know, if you're on Instagram, that might be the way they, they do it. Yeah, I think someone said to me quite a few years ago, you are what you do. Yeah. Which is quite a bleak <laughs> thought. <laughs> when you tot up what it is that you spend your day doing. Yeah. But you can't sort of expect to be asked to be in a, you know, a film if you're not trying to be in a film. I think you, you, have, know to, what I mean? I think you have to try. You have, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of people who want to be in films. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, so no, it's not, a, it's not a stress. No. No. Good. All right. Was, was it a good part, Jovin? Was it a good... Um, it was a short that Sarah Pascoe made for Valentine's Day. Oh, I'm sorry, John. I'm sorry. And, I'm sorry. I didn't. I'm sorry to bring. I didn't look at the. I'm and, sorry to bring uh, it up. And uh, we'll move on to the next failed relationship very soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So that no, that's that's not that's not an emotional memory. But okay. it was a nice little fun little thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's all your girlfriend can give you parts. That's the other way to get into acting jobs. That's a good way to do it. Um, you had your headphones stolen on the way to the gig, but I noticed you still had your headphones when you arrived at the well, gig. Well, those so... are my other set of headphones. Okay. I was victim to a uh, distraction theft to the today. Do you want to see how you would have done? Yeah. So I was coming back from the gym. Yeah, um... that wouldn't have been me. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been immediately safe I was in the house. Thinking about going for a run, I thought about it today. Yeah, I've been three times. The gym doesn't make me feel any better, but swimming does. Okay. And I haven't been swimming since pre-pandemic, so I thought I'd do that. So I've been swimming three times. Anyway, my way back, and a man dressed in elaborate robes <laughs> with a, one of those hats, which is like sort of a cylinder flat yeah, I know. hat. Yeah. Um, trustworthy hat. Someone in robes and a, and a flat hat. Trustworthy. He said, excuse me, I've got no knees. <laughs> Can you help me move my bike? And it was from one of those, like, basement porches on one of the terraced houses. Are you sure you were coming back from the gym, not back from some drug-fueled... Well, I'm me... sorry, I've got no knees. Well, Can you help me move my bike? How are you going to plan to fucking ride that bike with no knees, mate? Well, we're now covering a lot of my subsequent <laughs> thinking about the whole event. So he says, I've got no knees. Can you help me move my bike up? 
And if someone opens with, I've got no knees, <laughs> you don't go, fuck off, have you? You've got a couple of knees knocking around. You, you sort of immediately go, I'm so sorry. You go sort of super polite and helpful. So I said, of course I can help you move your bike. He was then super specific about where I hold it. Okay. He was like, you have to hold it at the bottom of the stem because you'll need the height to get it up the stairs and hold it on the left handlebar. So I went down and I then just went to pick it up as I would pick up a bike. He went, no, left handlebar and hold it on the stem. So I then hold, held it on one of the bits of the stem. He yeah. went, no, other stem. And then no lower. So every time I'm about to look up, he's giving me another instruction. Yeah. So anyway, I lift it up and I give it to him. And I put my stuff, I put my coffee, my headphones and my gym bag on the pavement. Yeah. But on the way down, I'd been thinking, if this is a trick, you've got your phone and you've got your keys. Because I have a system whereby I've got four pockets and I carry four things and I call them the power four. <laughs> this is why I've never That's lost easy. a phone, I've never lost my wallet, I've never lost my keys and I've never lost my electronic cigarette. That's the power four. Seems like you need a fifth pocket, John. <laughs> well, here's the thing. When you introduce a fifth yeah. item, headphones, you have to update it. You have to see it has to become the power five. Yeah. But because I'd gone to the gym, I'd left my wallet at home and put just the gym card in my gym bag. So the power four was now, I don't know, disbanded and had had a fourth element. At, so it was, I was all in a... Yeah. St- I couldn't just check on my pockets and go, I've got all my stuff. So anyway, I then moved off and a guy got out of a car next to him and they were chatting. And the guy was like 20 with a couple of knees. <laughs> So I was like, why didn't he just get the guy in the car to help him with the bike? And then I went in the door, because I lived about two, do- I live about two doors down from him in Edinburgh. And he said, oh, do you live here? And I went, oh, just for the festival. And then they disappeared. But the bike didn't, he was carrying the bike because he didn't have the, l- the key for the lock. Right. And I thought that is something super dodgy, but I've got my stuff. And then I noticed I didn't have my headphones. Ah. However... I had put my headphones in a special secret place <laughs> that so secret even I didn't know where they were. So I didn't lose my headphones, so I won. <laughs> but it was an attempted distraction okay. theft. But and what they might you... have stolen You might have helped them steal a bike by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, my fingerprints are now on that bike. <laughs> oh... Yeah, my fingerprints are now on that yeah, bike in a over. very specific I've been place. Like in every single part of the bike, well, no, no, hold it there, hold it there, hold it there. Oh. <laughs> and that bike's probably going to be used in a terrible murder. And this is your last. It's I mean, a, it's a great alibi for a mur- if you have committed a murder on a bike. This is a great alibi you've come up with. We're looking for a man in a little hat to hold the left handle yeah. and the bottom of the stem. Yeah. I've been double scammed. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, at least maybe, because I tweeted about it, and we've spoken about it now on record. Yeah. So will that be an alibi? No, that makes it seem more like you've set this whole thing up, knowing I would talk about it. What is, what is wrong with the world? <laughs> Just stay at home. Yeah. And don't bother. The next time you bring me on will be in 25 years' time, and you'll say, as seen in Belmarsh. <laughs> But imagine the shows you could put on. And if you, it would be quite good to go to prison, wouldn't it? For, no, no, no. For 25 years. No, Richard, for a awful. crime you didn't commit, so you're not even guilty, you're just in prison, and then you've got all that time to think about your stand-up. I bet they're crying out for people to do shows in Belmarsh. Yeah, I think it's the sort of 25 years in prison you're <laughs> skipping over, which would be the downer. And then you come out of prison, go, and you've you finally been proven that what you said on the podcast was true and that you didn't steal the bike, and then you could do a, an award-winning show. Like a sort of very, very bad version of the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> mm, well, um, I'm sorry you were victim to what wasn't actually a crime. No. Well, unless you were perpetuated the crime, I don't know. Um, good. Uh, so, uh, how you, how's, how's your Edinburgh going so far? Yeah, good. It's fascinating. I think it's a fascinating year. I think it's quite a difficult year um, out there. I think... Um, cost of living is hitting comedians and their audiences and the staff in venues very hard um i'm just doing a work in progress show up here but it's my i think it's like my 12th or 13th full year so i sort of feel bizarrely like a something of a veteran which is weird um 
I think there's a lot wrong with the way the festival is being run <laughs> and the way that I think the accommodation is meaning this is becoming a festival for people who've got money behind them yeah. or who have got a lot of uh, profile behind them and I think that's a real shame. I think it's becoming too expensive for people to come and visit. Yeah. Um, but I think there are a few factors in that that might change because I think the, they changed the letting laws in uh, Scotland but also on top of that, uh, COVID, so landlords were unsure as to whether it might go ahead, so they held back, which yeah. pushed the prices up originally because there weren't many... Um, sorry, this is quite boring technical yeah. stuff, but because there weren't many properties, people... There's a were... lot of people from Edinburgh here who want to know how, they're, how, they're, how much they can rent their properties for next year. Well, £2,000 a room, basically, and it's, it's absolutely disgusting, but there's nothing you can do about it. Um, Unless uh, the letting agencies agree to sign up to some kind of agreement where there's a maximum price per room, wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. And have a big sort of stamp on their website saying, we agree to a fair sort of equitable rent. But I know people who, brilliant comedians who just can't afford, who haven't come up. Because, you know, if you're going to, if you've got a few hundred quid in your bank account and they say, a two bedroom flat is four grand, a three bedroom flat is five grand, no chance. Well, I mean, what? What do you do? <laughs> you can't just magic it from anywhere. Yeah, I know. I think it's a big concern, and you know, and for people coming up, so it means there are there isn't as much of an audience, I would say, this year. And partly, you know, with everything else that's going on, so like people have left it late to book their tickets reasonably in case things get cancelled or in case they get ill. And I think that's speaking to people who promote shows across different arts, from sort of theatre and musicals and stuff. That's a habit now that people are used to things being rescheduled. So they wait until it's pretty much definitely going ahead before booking. Yeah. Um, cost of everything else has gone up. So food. I paid £3.15 for ketchup <laughs> in a Tesco. £3.15. How big, how big a bottle? Though? Oh, it was hefty. Okay. But, <laughs> the, you know, so I don't know. I, I think... Did you get through a lot of ketchup, John? Well, enough to warrant one bottle of ketchup a month, a month okay. I would say. Um, okay. How old now are you? 39? 40. 40. Oh, fuck, I'm 40. Oh, I remember the first year, <laughs> one of the first years I was in Edinburgh, you doing, oh, oh fuck, I'm 40. That's, that was probably about 15 years ago, I'm guessing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, re I remember thinking, imagine being 40. <laughs> imagine it. I'll never, be, I'll never ever be. If I'm still doing Edinburgh when I'm forty, <laughs> then you did. Oh fuck, I'm fifty, and I'm now forty. Yeah, so that, and just time. And that one was so quick, and I'm halfway to sixty. You know, no, if I make it, yeah, I'm fifty-five now, so halfway. Jeez, to 60. Louise, it goes. And you know, I wish I was fucking forty now. I tell you, <laughs> I wish I was twenty-five, looking yeah. at you, going, I'll never be forty. <laughs> But you do get a bit of perspective, I think. Um, that's one thing. That can, be, that can be a bad thing as well, because we were talking backstage about, you know, once you've been up here for multiple years, there are quite a few ghosts that haunt the streets. Yeah. And they, it can be quite a sort of stressful experience. I think because all the, you know, just all... Because as, as I say, this year is a, is a calm ride, apart from I've got to look after my kids, but I'm enjoying that mainly. Uh, it's, a, it's just that it's another thing to worry about them, you know. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's fun having them here. But yeah, it's just, I think, like all the fringes I've done, and you start thinking about, and, and so many bad things have happened up here. So if you start getting to a negative point of view, then, yeah. you know, and you forget about all the many fantastic things that have happened here as well. It just sort of starts to weigh down on you a bit as you think about the... Well, it's hard to find mistake. a street that doesn't remind you of something you've done wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be trying to find new routes to my venue so I don't walk past the place I cried or the place a girl kissed me and never called me back or the place I made an idiot of myself in front of some important person. Yeah. And th there aren't any. There isn't a bar or a street or a doorway in this city where I haven't fucked up. <laughs> and and you forget about the stuff that was good. Yeah, and it's over so many years. I think you were saying it's a bit like when you go back to your, your college town or your school and you're reminded of things that happened there, but it's over so many years in Edinburgh. I mean, it might be the same amount of time, actually, in terms mm. of time lived here, but it's, it's so many years, so there's so many different kinds of fuck-ups. And you've been here single, you've been here in relationships, yeah. you've been here when it's 
affected your relationship negatively. You've been here when it started a relationship. So there's all these... And that's why this city means so much to me, because it's such a part of so many different elements of my life. It's not just the show you do for an hour. It's the socialising. It's the people you meet. And, you know, one of the huge pleasures of my life has been the comedians and people who work in comedy that I've met and feel really honoured to know... But there's a lot of people are pissed off and people who've pissed me off. So it's sort of coming back to an ongoing relationship (laughs) that you leave for a year and then you sort of pick up a few of the strands and you're reminded of regrets and... God. And a few so people, come and see the show. There's a few. There's a few people I don't want to bump into as well, right? And oh, I've, I've yeah. not, but I've not really had that so much before. But there's a few people that there's beefs one way or another with, and you know you can bump into anyone at any corner. I'm sort of beefless now. To an ex- I'm beefless, yeah. and I haven't made any beefs for a long time. <laughs> but I think like I get so enthusiastic about meeting people and going out for a drink that people. I, I set up a WhatsApp group. Um, for sort of meeting up for drinks. And I just... I was too enthusiastic when I set up the WhatsApp group. No one's replied to any of my requests. They start to organise things like going for walks. And I'm like, come on, who's going out on the lash? And it's just, all right, John, chill out. Um... Well, that's all, you know, but see, that's all over. I don't drink anymore, but also... I'm Do you not, not drink at all? No, I've given up drinking and... Oh, man. And I don't really go out anymore. And certainly in Edinburgh, there's no... My wife's got an evening show, so I've got to look after the kids. I'm in awe of... um, I know a few people who've stopped drinking totally. Yeah. And I'm envious, and I am incredibly pleased for them. And I just... I I duff my cap to you, because I just can't switch off my brain otherwise. Yeah. I don't think I could have done when I was your age, though. But I've been trying to give up drinking, like, for a long time. And I do it for a little bit, and then I mean, you know, I might start again. But it's been uh, what? So it's been a year and a half, more, more than a year and a half. Yeah, twenty. Amazing. Um, but I didn't really give up. I just stopped drinking, and then it's just not started again. Mm. And now it sort of feels like oh, it'd have to be something quite. There's been a couple of days in Edinburgh. I thought yeah, I just would quite like to go. I've given up eating chocolate, but yesterday I ate a whole bag of my children's giant chocolate buttons because <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting in the house on my own, feeling a bit like oh god, it's yeah. Tired. So yeah, that might that could happen with. I don't know if that. Do you think that's worse or better? Do you think it would be better for me to go and drink a big bottle of whiskey or oh, no. drink a giant bottle of a giant giant bag of chocolate buttons? Because once I start eating chocolate, I'm I, fucked. I think buttons. I think you've got to be kind to yourself. Yeah. Okay. You what's what's the kind? So that I like. I have that with drinking sometimes. It'd be like, look, either you drink and you hate yourself for doing it, or you drink and accept that you're going to do it. What's the least stressful of those options? I mean, the least stressful is not drinking. (laughs) But, you know, you've got to be kind and respectful of yourself. And that's, I guess, finding a balance. I'm all about the weather in my brain at the minute. I started using a meditation app, which can turn my brain off about 10 minutes. Then we hit the pubs. Yeah. But, (laughs) like, I see my mental state as, like, weather. So, in the same way I might think I was pissing down today... I don't then get stressed about why is it raining? What have you done? How do you stop it raining? You must be an awful person if it's raining outside. I just think, okay, you've just got to get in your tent or <laughs> put your umbrella up and get through this. And maybe tomorrow it'll be a bit brighter. And yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. 
jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I think that's the thing I think about Edinburgh is there's a lot of comedians here and the comedians think a lot about stuff and a bit too much about stuff and mm. there's a lot of mental illness I mean there's a lot of mental illness that now people are talking about which they wouldn't have talked about and you talk very very uh, brilliantly about mental health issues on, on uh, your podcast and your radio show but it's sort of the worst possible people you could <laughs> but I'm in a quite a happy mental state and I still and I still just feel that pressure of the of the fringe it's sort of just a weird yeah I think you have to sort of be you have to remember it's just you know, it's an hour's work a day. Yeah, it's hard, man. People over the past this couple of years the, especially... This is, the, what, this is the work as well, just sitting on this chair talking. Yeah, no, OK, <laughs> you know, there is other stuff. There's prep, and if you're flyering for your own show, and if you're trying to promote it yourself, it, is, it can be very stressful and very draining, but there's an awful lot of stuff that's in your control. Like, do you stay out till four in the morning, getting yeah. wasted every night? Of course the next day you're going to feel terrible. (laughs) Like, there is stuff you can control and stuff you can't. And I think, for me, Edinburgh, as in life, is about separating what you can control and what you can't, um, as the serenity prayer tells us. So, And that's the kind of way you get through stuff. It's like, well, if I'm in charge of all the stuff I'm in charge of, how hard do I work on my show, How, how I behave towards people, how... You know, what effort do I put in? How do I look after myself? Am I eating healthily? Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff I can control. I can't control, you know, how many people turn up or whether they like it. I can tr- control whether I like it. Yeah. You know, so, but you don't feel that when you're young. You just think, well, you know, why do nice girls hate me? <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what's going through your head. Well, and, but, you know, the financial pressure of it all, you know, even like in 2015, I lost £45,000 putting on the play. And that was, you know, it was just, and my stand-up show didn't do as well as usual, so I kind of thought, I'll make a bit of money on the stand-up show and that'll cover some of the costs. But you were in charge of the decision to bring up a new play about I'm, Rasputin. I was. The, the, <laughs> But, you but know, you I thought, in. I thought some people would come and see it, though. I, was, I wasn't but, in charge of that. No, but, and this is speaking with hindsight, but new plays tend to start off in, like, 20 or 30 seaters and yeah. get a lot of buzz. How many seats were there for your playback? I mean, it was, it was, like, three or 400, yeah. It was a big room. So, I wasn't expect, but it was only because I had a deal to do both shows at the same theatre, but it meant my stand-up show was much later than usual. Mm. So the play was in the afternoon and the stand-up show was a, a later... And I think, my, even by that stage, my audience were a little bit older and not wanting to stay mm. until five past eleven or whatever. Oh yeah, that is late. <laughs> I've noticed there are less late shows this year. Yeah. There are less shows in general. Yeah. Which there was was it? Nika Burns sort of mentioned in her speech that the fringe is shrinking a bit, which might be a good thing. But I would just temper that by saying, if those shows are the people who can't afford to come up, that's not a good thing. No. Because it means we're shrinking to a sort of middle class funded. Festival, yeah. which almost becomes curated in a sense. And the great thing about this festival is it's not curated, but it becomes curated by degrees if you need to have financial backing or money behind you or whatever, or support from your parents or a well-paying job outside of comedy. Yeah. Um, I think the ticket prices are too cheap. And it's a difficult thing to say because I know comedians are very conscious of ticket price, but everything else has gone up by 300% since I came here. Tickets have gone up, I worked out, by about 10% or got cheaper. So if the beer outside your venue is twice the price as it was, if the accommodation is four times the price it was, if a music concert is three times the price it was, but a comedian is charging the same, that's not sustainable. And I I think there need to be more... There's a good model at a venue called the Monkey Barrel where they keep, I think, 15% of tickets to pay what you want on the day, regardless of the show. Yeah. And that's good, but only if people are charging the sort of something approaching the market value for a, an hour's entertainment. It's very tricky to talk about, but, you know, you, everyone's got to get paid. The venue staff have got to get paid. The, the bar staff, the, the techs, everyone involved in this incredible festival has got to get paid. And at the minute, they're not. Yeah, no, it's because true. 
The, the council are charging the market rate for advertising. The, the university are charging market rate for the rooms. The bars are charging market rate for the bars. Everyone is charging the market rate, apart from comedians who are going, oh, oh, oh I can't charge seven quid. <laughs> Fucking seven quid for an hour of entertainment. But they feel they can't because they set the ticket price when the product doesn't exist. And if you're in charge of setting the ticket price for something that doesn't exist, you're going to want to make it as cheap as possible because you think it's going to be shit. Because <laughs> it's not there. But no other artist sets their own price before the thing exists. Yeah, it's true. But, you know, but I, that's, I mean, that, that's my... I think the thing that's bothering me about this year is, is that, you know, exactly the thing about that... Uh, the, the right comedian, the, the proper fringe comedians are going to find it difficult to come up, and the and the kind of audience that I was mm. when I first came to the fringe, and you know, admittedly slept on floors and and did things very cheaply, but I could afford to go to shows, and I could have, you know, I could have, I could afford to be here, and I could afford to, the train to get here, and if those people aren't coming, then then I just fear that that ten years time the fringe is sort of just shift, well, you know, like like the political <laughs> scene we're in at the moment it's just getting older and older and then you know all yep. the old people are dead and then what's left yeah and that's that's what will happen but i don't know how unless unless you get the ticket prices in line with the prices of everything else i don't know how you stop that yeah because what a, a, a tickets for edinburgh show is going to be 10 quid in another 10 years time when accommodation is five grand a room and beer is 10 quid a pint and, and techs are still getting paid, I don't know, seven, eight, nine quid an hour. It's not fair. Yeah. Everyone's got to get paid. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just people who can afford not to get paid who come. And that's not good. It's true. But it has always operated, you know, the Fringe has always operated on the acts, like investing in their future and people taking advantage of that, I think. In that we, you know, we, we, we used to lose a couple of grand in the 1990s mm. when we'd come up and you go, well, that's okay because hopefully we'll get a job or two that'll start paying that back and it will lead to something else. And it, there was a chance of it leading to something else, which I don't think there is now. I, I don't think there is now for as many people, but I worry that, there, you know, it's back of a fag packet maths. It's not rocket science. If you're doing 80 seats and you sell 50 of them for 10 quid a ticket, that's 500 quid somewhere. Yeah. So 500 quid has gone into the system. And the fact that that money is not going in part to the person who created the show, the person who took the tickets on the door, the person who serves the beer, the person who designed the post, whatever it is... That, you have to find a way to distribute that money, and it doesn't feel very socialist to say the way to do that is to charge more, but the way is to charge more, because <laughs> then you can distribute that wealth. Yeah. And if that wealth is going into a, a landlord or someone's back pocket for their flat, it's, it's done. This will not survive in the way that it has brilliantly survived for so many years, because it becomes a festival for rich people. And it becomes a fe festival for rich acts and people who can afford 200 quid on a train, 250 quid a night in a hotel, mm -hmm. you know, seven quid a pint. I'm lucky in that I've got a fan base, so I can be one of those people. Yeah. But I just don't know. I don't think there's as much exciting stuff happening as perhaps there was because you can't take that risk. That's not to say there isn't exciting stuff. I've seen some brilliant stuff. I've heard about some brilliant stuff that I'm going to see, but it's, there's a lot of people with playing it safe because they have to. Yeah. No, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't feel like a fringe fringe anymore, but then, you know, we're all, we're, you're over 40, I'm over 50. It's probably, I'm not that's, over that's 40, I am 40. <laughs> Once you're 40, you're over 40. Well, it's my 41st year. Yeah. Then, you know, so it's your 56th year. Yeah. <sighs> Let's move on to something um, happier. So, last time you were here, you were in a relationship and engaged to someone, and now... <laughs> <laughs> and now you're not... What, what happened? Am I went wrong? I'm not an easy guy to be around. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I don't know. Life happens, I guess. Oh, man, it does. Look, you know. But again, like, I, it's exactly the same point in my life. It was, I, I was going through 
similar sort of stuff. And I mm. think it, it is, it does feel uh, difficult. But the, the, you know, it, it sort of sorts itself out. You, you, you think so much about stuff, and you know, your your work you're doing about the, with with Ellis, the how do you cope with you? Is you know, you're you're thinking so much about these things and about your happiness and how to get navigate life. Mm. And I think you know, you're you're pretty wise about it all. But it it just does take you know a lot of time then something clicks in hopefully and, and it works out yeah or it doesn't yeah or it doesn't <laughs> it's the other or option. it works for a bit and then it doesn't the, work the anymore the other option is you're sort of you know quite wise and emotionally literate and you know pleasant and alone because you're a nightmare because you obsess about stuff and yeah. you get trapped in your head and you drink a bit too much and you you're not joyous you're sort of withdrawn I think that's you though isn't it that's not me it's ain't you but it's you you're talking about yourself but also um, like you've got to ah oh, man you've got to you've got to focus on the process and not the outcome says the man who's had 10 unsuccessful relationships I mean, or whatever on the, on the plus side did your last partner do a show about you in the, on the Edinburgh Fringe? No. So there you go. No. So you're moving in the right direction. Moving in the right direction. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's difficult. I think I'm going to have to be more... Uh, not that I'm particularly... I'm going to have to be more careful about what elements of my private life I talk about on the radio. Yeah. Because... Um, you don't think about it in the moment when I'm chatting to Ellis. I'm like, oh, I did this thing with my girlfriend this week. We had this funny incident. You think it's a funny thing. But then when that, if that ends and you have to address eventually why you're no longer t- telling funny anecdotes about stuff you did with your girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. then it's like Robbins announced the breakup of his... And you're like, well, I, I didn't. I just sort of said to Ellis that my relationship had ended. And so you then go, well, I don't want to have to feel like it's a press release... And then there's a fucking thing in the Daily Mail, and I never want to be that guy who's, like, in the <laughs> Daily Mail... Because I don't do that stuff. I don't do, like... Not that Amor has ever asked me, but... John invited us to his tiny one-bedroom house <laughs> and showed us his delightful display of Queen memorabilia. You know, I don't... I, I get it that if you use the publicity system when times are good, you have to accept that when times are bad, it sort of... You can't turn the tap off. Yeah. But I've never really turned the tap on, so it's quite scary even to get like a minor little tiny thing saying, oh, John Robbins has broken up with whatever in a newspaper website. So you have to then keep it back. But then it's like, well, what do I talk about now if I'm keeping all the stuff secret? Because <laughs> i got to talk on the radio and on podcasts and stuff. But so uh, yeah, that's I'd, something I'm going to have to think about. It quite. is worth thinking about, but I think it is, you know, I think you kind of have to not worry about that. There's people's jobs who is to listen to podcasts and then write down the stuff that's said in the podcast. And it's sort of, hello to those people. Have a little look at your life. I mean, at least you're a journalist. Go and, like, find something out on your own mm. <laughs> and just wait for and then a lot of it's just stuff that's been said you know like in my podcast the things that become newsworthy are often things that have or you know I've read in a paper somewhere else that's why I'm asking about them so it's just this endless cycle of people creating uh, news stories out of nothing and I think it would be a shame you know it's lovely that you and I, I listen to your uh, five live show when I'm in the car uh, on a Friday afternoon, which is quite often. And, uh, you know, the, your relationship's lovely, and it's nice that you're so open. And I think, again, in, in with, um, with How Do You Cope, I think it's you, you, if you weren't talking, if you close off your own personal thoughts and your own personal life, then that's going to lose a little bit of something. Right? Yeah, and I think the benefits of being open and not really thinking about the consequences of some of the stuff you share vastly outweigh the negative things and in terms of the response that audiences have especially throughout lockdown the amount of people who you know come up to me and say and a lot of people will hear this a lot of artists or musicians whatever but you got us me through lockdown yeah is such an incredible i can't even really get my i can't really engage with it because it's too it's sort of it's too nice a thing <laughs> and it doesn't feel like that because you're doing everything at such a distance you're just thinking churning out <laughs> like content and just talking and talking and recording and editing and releasing not that I do any of the editing um thank god but um yeah so I think you, I, we do have to do that because that's something that I think people like about us yeah and I and, think it's so important you know you've done on this podcast you've obviously done it in your in your own stuff so much 
that I think by just by talking about these things, it just makes it lightens the load for anyone else going through anything similar. Because the because the inclination is to not, you know, I've been in relationships and they've gone wrong, and you just don't try not to talk about it for a bit until someone goes, "Hold on, are you not? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen you with your partner for three years. Oh yeah, we've you know, you've got it's, it's got to come out at some point. Mm. So you know, I think I think that what you've always been great about is both you and you and, and you and Alice together about just talking about these things and and as you know you're not like you're not neither of you would be macho you know impenetrable men but you are also kind of regular guys who i think it does appeal to to an audience to go oh if they can talk about it we can talk about it yeah and i think you know we're always only telling we're never we're always careful not to tell someone else's story i think that's quite a good rule for like stand-up or broadcasting or whatever is don't tell a story that's not yours to tell but well, we just learned so much from the guests we had on How Do You Cope about lots of different um, mental health issues and struggles, stuff that I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been on my radar. Um, and then stuff that is so on your radar that it becomes too difficult to talk about. And there's been a couple of podcasts where I've had to really, like, practice the questions so I don't cry or well up or choke up during the interview and the interview with Gail Porter and Richard Coles are examples of that, where there were bits... I actually had to get Ellis to read a quote from Richard's book because it, it just had me in bits. And there's a bit in Gail Porter's documentary about... Um, well, it's about lots of things, but it's about loneliness, this bit that got to me. So we had to sort of have a couple of run-ups at that. Um, so I learned a lot about... I have learned a lot about how to cope from our guests and the reading that we do around the topic. So I'm very proud of that. And I think, you know, you've got to keep doing what you're good at. I'm not good at most, like, I'm not a topical comedian. I'm not a, I've got, I say that. <laughs> Decent. You were, you were, you were uh, good no, about I, that bloke stealing your headphones. That was, yeah. that was very topical. <laughs> but like, That's the most topical thing you can get. Yeah, but it's, you know, that you have to sort of pick what, I'm good at talking about myself and yeah. the things that happened to me. Yeah. And that's quite an easy topic to be an expert on. <laughs> it is. It's just how you describe it. also just to see, because I, you know, I was lonely all through my 20s, really all through my 20s and a lot of my 30s before I kind of slightly pulled myself together. But I still... I think that's part of the problem with Edinburgh. I still have that... I, I still have that fear. I can still remember that fear of walking into the Pleasance Courtyard and not know... You know, knowing that some people might slightly know who you were, but also not knowing if there was going to be someone you knew there, not wanting to be seen on your own, but also that f- terrible fear of, you know, not of just sitting drinking on your own. And so I would just go... go. It's sort of weird now, like Friday, Saturday night, I'm, I'm in my flat looking after the kids and I'm happy. But, you know, 20 years ago, I'd have been in my flat on my own being very unhappy. Oh, I yeah. still get ner- really nervous if I go to... Because uh, a lot of venues have, will have, like, an artist bar. Yeah. I don't go to that often because I, this, we're in the greatest pub city on earth. So why would you go to a kind of a shack for people who've taken a lot of cocaine when you can go to one of the great pubs? However, I do go to them. I still get nervous when I go to the door because I think they're going to say, I'm sorry, you can't come in here. And then I get in there and there's no one I know in there. So I sit on my own and think, this has gone badly wrong. You're now sitting on your own in a bar drinking a cider and it's not even a nice bar you could be in a nice pub now you could be in Vinnie's or the Bennett's bar or the Dagda or you know the any number of Waverley or yeah. Barony oh my god this place I could, would I would live here in a heartbeat if it wouldn't cause enormous problems in my career <laughs> but it's, you know, it's good to, I think it's good for people to hear that and you know the kind of people who listen to podcasts and like podcasts are all sad losers so it's They're good not. for them to, it's good for them to hear that They're someone like is successful me. as you the people are like me when I do gigs or when me and Ellis do gigs it's like as troubling as an image this may sound, it's like being watched by a hundred of me <laughs> or a thousand of me or 50 of me. And that's quite weird, but it's also really nice. And it means that when people do come up to me, they're as nervous as I am. So as much as the conversation might be a car crash, at least, we're, you know, we're both... That's happened because we're both sort of very shy. Um, so I like it. I've got, I've got... I'm in a very, very, very lucky position. Good. Well, you know, and it's good. I think it's great you to so carry on talking about it and, you know, just stop fucking up all your relationships. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> or just choose, choose someone appropriate. <laughs> do better, John. Do better. <laughs> but then I think, well, maybe, you know, maybe some people aren't meant to. You know, I mean, definitely like... some people I meant to, but also look, I've no, but I, you know, I met my wife when I was forty, and I'd basically fucked up every relationship for twenty years, you know, and it was, you know, and and it could easily have carried on for a lot longer if I hadn't met my wife, or it could, you know, so it's, it's. But is it, but is but is being in a relationship until you die is that success? Yes. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, like obviously the... that's that's a nice goal to have, but it's a bit like, you know, not every. I, I just maybe some people aren't cut out for it. Maybe like uh, Daniel Kitson once had a line. He said, "If you're in a relationship, in a loving relationship, best case scenario, two outcomes: one of you leaves or dies. <laughs> that's what or how a relationship ends, <laughs> either in death or someone leaving you, yeah. or you leaving them." So, you know, it's not like I'm lacking the experience of relationships. <laughs> I'm fucking got it coming out of my ears, you know, romance and sex and excitement and holidays and adventures and nights in. I, I, it's not like I missed out on any of that. It's just the person keeps changing. <laughs> so it's not like I'm lacking the experience of a relationship. No. And maybe people, I've nailed it. I mean, maybe, maybe it's I'm, you losers who've been together 40 years trapped with the same old <laughs> conversations about nothing in the same room without the frisson of a catastrophic breakup every three years. <laughs> but, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure we were... I mean, there's no meant anyway about anything, but I'm not... We, you know, people didn't used to live as long as we lived, so even if you were in a relationship... 100%. It, you know, it would last 10 years because one of you would be dead in 10 yeah. years. So I don't think there's... There's absolutely nothing wrong with... Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people in relationships would think, that's what John's describing. Sounds quite good. Maybe it's I a... should move over to that. But, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a pain, isn't it, finding, finding the next one. It's good when you just get one that's OK. Just, oh, thank God. That's where, <laughs> that's where I'm at, Ailey. I, I love my wife very dearly. Oh God, she doesn't. She doesn't like. She doesn't enjoy j- jokes. She doesn't enjoy my jokes. <laughs> she doesn't enjoy my jokes. Uh, she's well, you know, it, you know. You're absolutely right, and uh, you know. Good luck. I hope you, you know, you do whatever you want to do. I don't care. <laughs> I just, you know, I just worry about you, John. Let's worry. I hope you're okay. That's all right. Um, why haven't you been on Taskmaster yet? <laughs> you play golf with the bloke from it. What's going um, on? I mean, you pro- the thing is, I asked this question and they're already filming like two or three series ahead and I don't know who's in it. And so often, like, Dara O'Brien was like the week before the announcement was on the podcast going, yeah, I live, you know, I live just down the road from the house and I'm, what's going on? I've never been asked on and he already filmed this whole thing. So. Um, no, I've not, I've not filmed no. or been asked to be on Taskmaster. I was close one year, apparently, yeah. but um, I don't know. You've got to pick your battles. Uh, I don't get asked to do a lot of telly stuff. Yeah. But and I can either let that get to me and stress me out and make me feel bad about myself, or I can think, John, you've got a radio show, you've got podcasts that people really like, you sell really well when you do stand up, people like your stand up, you've got a YouTube golf channel with someone who really should be part of the decision making process <laughs> of Taskmaster. But it's like, why is suddenly there's always going to be something you can use to fucking get pissed off about? I, am I going to define my life by whether I'm on Taskmaster? Not, yeah. No. You should define it whether you've been on it and whether you've won your series and then won the Champion of Champions. That's how you've got to define yourself. And then um, the Champion of Champion of Champions. That's how I'm going to define myself. But how did you get on Taskmaster then? How did I get on it? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I kind of went on about it a lot until they put me on. And, and did your agent help with that at all? <laughs> I guess, maybe. Yeah, so we, we, have, we are in a slightly different... <laughs> comedic infrastructure, one that you can exert a little bit more influence over, and I'm glad you did because I think you I were fantastic know, I, again, on it. I don't get onto many of those things, so you know, it is, I yeah. think it is. Um, but I'm not going to suddenly start defining my success by whether I'm on one <laughs> program because if you get on that one, then there'll be another one. And you'll be like, oh God, now I feel terrible about myself again because everyone's asking me. I mean, the one thing I would ask if people could stop messaging me 
to ask me why I'm not on Taskmaster. <laughs> and every time Taskmaster announced a lineup, as much as I appreciate being in people's thoughts, not atting me into the tweet going, why no John Robbins and LSJ? I mean, just, is, is, if it's up to me, I'd have put myself in season one. I'd have also been the host. <laughs> it's not up to me. I am very thankful for the things must, I do do. There must be some comfort in the fact that Ellis hasn't done it either. So when There Ellis will come it, a day. <laughs> And I suspect that day is not far away when Ellis will be asked to do Taskmaster and I will burst into flames. (laughs) You got a very nice... He got asked to do Pointless? Yeah. Comedian Double Acts episode of Pointless. Comedian Double Acts, Ellis and Ivo Graham. (laughs) As As a man he has never appeared with on anything... And it wasn't like they wanted to have a diverse lineup, which I could run <laughs> two fucking white guys. That I was livid about because it made no sense. Ellis and I have since filmed Pointless together. Okay, good. Which kind of is like, it's not like it was. I, I love Ivo, he's a personal friend. I think he's one of the best comedians in the country. But it's not like it was Ellis and Eddie Izzard. <laughs> it's like we're all the same gang. And the, He's got... It's Ellis and John! It's the name! It's, how thick are you? Or, could be the case, who have I pissed off? Because I might have pissed off someone involved with the booking process at some point. Yeah. But I don't think I have, because I think I'm quite a nice person. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I think comedians all get into this. I certainly get into that. I think, you know, what did I do? What did I, it took me so long to get onto anything else on TV. And, you know, and, uh, apart from that, I did have a show, but then that finished. And I, well, did I do something really wrong? And, you know, so you do start thinking those things. I think it's just that there's, you know, there's so many people that could be, and the people making the decisions aren't always the smartest people in the world. But it's not to say they've made the, you know, they're wrong. It's just, I've never felt, you know, I've done t- TV and I will do more TV and I quite like the TV, some of the TV I've done and other bits I've not liked as much, but I just, it's just one of the, that was the most awkward water oh. pouring I've ever seen. Thought I'd do something visual for the crowd. <laughs> But, you know, it's never been, like, a done deal with, yeah. between me and TV. It's never been an easy process. There's always been sort of... It's, you have to make a case for it. With other people, that journey is slightly easier. But I've got... You know, I enjoy what I do, and I think I'm good at what I do, so I don't need to, like, suddenly think, if I'm not doing everything, I'm bad or I failed or... <laughs> you know, I've got past that concern. Are you, are you sure? Do you know, I, I am. <laughs> I really am. Um... Uh, how, how, I mean, you and Ellis together are, gr- are, are really great. You have to do, a, I mean, you've been working together for a long time and you have to do a lot of talking together and it always seems to flow. Uh, I, I listened to the five live show on the way up to uh, Edinburgh and then I was on it last week, which, yeah. is, a, which is a weird experience. I think, oh, <laughs> that show I was enjoying in that one. But you, it's sort of effortless in terms, it feels effortless in terms of the, re- the relationship. The, the effort comes from the, the producers and the editors and the, you know, people who prepare the stuff. And, yeah, by now, if me and Ellis were having to sit down and script shows, you'd think, I don't think you're very good at this <laughs> because we just know each other so well. We know, you know, we still make each other laugh. Like, last night we had to pre-record next Friday's show and, you know, I was in my bedroom with sort of duvets everywhere to deaden the sound he was in his living room in london dave was on a balcony in portugal because he's on holiday doing it remotely and i and i got a kick out of making him laugh and out of making dave laugh and about saying stuff that was perhaps a step too far um pretending that i am like being silenced by the bbc (laughs) and that i and All of those things and all of the rolling jokes and all of the openness and the sort of um, feeling like this far from just screaming about my life but saying it in a way that will make them laugh and vice versa. Like Ellis goes on holiday to Bedford and he's lame (laughs) and he doesn't go out anymore but I love him and he's doing really... He's got loads of other projects on and we're just... 
we just like making each other laugh, and I get a kick out of making them laugh, and it's, it's like an adrenaline rush. Um, and I know just before I say something, this is really going to make him laugh. <laughs> and I think he has the same with me. Yeah. And we have the same with Dave. So it can't get stale, because if, if he stops laughing, <laughs> then that's when it's... Yeah, a problem. I've always, I think, is impressive about it is it's an easy show to slot into as well. Like sometimes when you come in as a guest or something, it's quite hard to get into the yeah. vibe or be or be invited into the vibe. I suppose. Mm. Whereas I found it a very easy show to just like get into and just do my stuff and be supported. And yeah, there's not too know. many in jokes, but we do have like lots of long running sort of themes so if you go right back to the start of the then xfm podcasts so we must have done seven or eight hundred now you know there's stuff for people to really get lost in or to sort of feast on or wear on a t-shirt but (laughs) also it has to remain a radio show that you can turn on if you've never heard us before and think what is this garbage or oh that's funny you don't usually hear people talking about that on five live on a friday (laughs) afternoon between the football and the drive program or whatever. So I like that. And But, you know, you finish the show and you go home and stare at the wall. <laughs> and do you think... And that's what keeps it fresh. Do you think, uh, do you think, it's, do you think it'll go on forever? Can you envisage a time when you and Ellis hate each other and don't talk to each other anymore? Like all real double X? No, because... <laughs> what was the last thing? <laughs> like all real double X. No. <laughs> Um, we've, we've come through some big tests, um, my moods, um, when I found out what he was getting paid for fantasy football, we've come through some really big tests and we've got through them because we love each other and we say we love each other on air and sometimes we are joking and sometimes we're not, um, so I can't ever see... I mean, like, we might get bored, he might get too wealthy, (laughs) he might be on Taskmaster... Or I might just retire and play golf because yeah. I get sort of sick of myself. But I can't ever see it ending for a negative reason. No. Good. It's not, it, but it, does, it feels like two, two proper friends, which I... Yeah, and we are. A yeah. million, hundred million, and, billion and also percent. the producer's fantastic. Dave's the producer. Dave's great, and Matt important. and Bertie and, and past producers, Jess and Vin. They, I mean, they work so hard <laughs> in a way I could and never... <laughs> you've, got, you've got a book coming out of the How, How Do You Cope? Is That's that TBC. Uh, okay. uh, yes, but then my uh, my personal circumstances took a downturn uh, when I was meant to start writing that book, okay. and I felt I couldn't face it. So that's sort of on hold, but hopefully will happen. Yeah. But I just couldn't write uh, about so many different types of mental health problem while I was struggling, but in a better place now, so maybe... Sure. Good. Uh, and what's the work in progress that you're doing? Is, is that working towards a new tour? Yeah, so the tour will be next um, autumn 2023, and I'll come back to Edinburgh to do a better version of this with more new bits next year. Um, tickets will be a thousand pounds. Yeah, think of a thousand. <laughs> I will be the one, to the, the pioneer of the thousand pound ticket to uh, to uh, recalibrate the uh, the economy of the Edinburgh Festival. Um, no, uh, I'll I'll come up next August and I'll tour it after that. And I'm really excited because 2019 was my last tour, yeah. and a lot's happened since then. But it's it'll be that similar subjects, but in a you know, I think it might be called Howl. Okay. Um, quite like that title. Um, and, uh, yeah, that'll go on sale quite soon, hopefully, when they sort out the dates. Cool. All right. Well, we'll everyone will look out for that. I'd like to give you a copy of my book. Yeah. That even though I went through a bad year, I managed to write a book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's called Can I Have My Ball Back? I, it's just, that's for you. That's a, it's a pre... Look at that. It's not even got a back cover <gasps> or anything. So which is more valuable, the pre-book or the mug people are already tweeting know. me about? I mean, people are already trying to buy your mug off you. I think that's probably pretty... There's only a, a very few. There's, I gave, there was one given away in a competition. Yeah. And I've given one to Bob Mortimer. Oh, and, uh, thank you. And I've given one to you. It's the very small text. Yeah. I, I don't know if... I think that's how it's going to be. I didn't, I didn't make that choice. Yeah, I can't see it from here. Yeah, maybe it may. It's going to be bigger than that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, if I want any... I suppose, you know, most people who get t- testicular cancer are young, though, so, you know, it's, they've got very strong eyes. So yeah. they, can, they can read all but the text. Al- but also, what I like about it is yeah. usually people make the text big, so they have to write less. <laughs> Whereas you've, um, you've... There was a lot to go. You know, but I actually found, write, I found writing the book more traumatic than, uh, than having testicular yeah. cancer. Yeah. Because it, it sort of brought... It all, but you know, I had to think about it a lot, and I think this year has sort of been harder than last year as a result. So I have to write a book about writing the book ah. to let people know how difficult it is to actually. Can I have talk. my ball back? Back? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I have my ball back? 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 Yeah. No. Yeah. Good. Uh, so let me know. Let me know what you think. I've got. There's a Bob Morton was giving me a quote. It's not on there yet because it was. You know, he's a nice guy. You can give me a quote. You, you know. And then, you, I, I, but you wouldn't. The amount of people I give quotes to, and then you get the book, and you're like, hmm. <laughs> Didn't make the grade. <laughs> Someone else decides. That's the thing. Okay, yeah. okay. I got loads for. I think the original. Yeah, look, the original emergency questions book, which is here. Loads of people gave me quotes, and, I, and the guy said, "Yeah, get in touch with." And I got in touch with loads of people. And I think you gave me a quote for that, didn't you? Maybe. I think. Probably uh, I and I, yeah, and it's nowhere to be seen. Uh, you were beaten by uh, Dawn French, Richard Osman, and Adam Kay. Fair enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Big hitters. Big but, you hitters. Know, once you've asked loads of people to do that, you can't ask them again. I can't go back to Richard Osman and say, "Give me a quote about this." He said, "What about when I said brilliant about your last?" <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'm genuinely interested to see what you think about it, if you could be asked to read it. Uh, but you know, no pressure. Just I've just given you a copy. I'm going to give one to Ed Gamble as well. So it's not that big a deal. <laughs> He does feature it. He does feature it. Does he? Book. Yeah, because it's about. It's about I, I did Taskmaster. That, that I did Taskmaster. <laughs> so I've got to read a book about what it's like being on Taskmaster. <laughs> what it cost me to get on Taskmaster was one testicle, John. If you're prepared to pay that price, that's what that's what Alex Horn needs. He uses them as golf balls. Well, I tell you what, if he is, he's lost it. <laughs> That's a, goal, a joke for a golfer. Uh, or anyone who watches our golf channel, Bad Golf. Which is a pleasure. Yeah. If it was being on Taskmaster versus playing 20 rounds of golf with Alex a year, oh my God, golf please. Okay. Such a joy. He's one of the nicest people you ever meet in your life. And also I found out recently, he's never been sad. <laughs> Can you imagine that? He must have been sad. He went on a podcast. What was it? And someone said to me, I listened to a podcast with Alex. You know he's never been sad. <laughs> and I was like, as insane as that sounds, I can kind of see that. Yeah. Very low, low stress guy. We're very different, Alex and I, but I love him dearly. He's terrific. Well, look, we'll look forward to We can't get any more tickets to see you in Edinburgh. You're sold out in Edinburgh. Um, but there'll be a tour. How? Maybe for TBC, working title, work in progress. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I'll be up next year as well, and hopefully... If the Edinburgh Fringe survives... Well, it always will. Yeah. It changes, but I just hope it doesn't change um, away from giving opportunities to as diverse a group of people as possible to create and to perform the incredible things that they do, because that would be a terrible shame. And also, from what I've heard from people who've seen lots of shows, the best work is being done by those people from uh, diverse backgrounds, from um, members of the LGBTQ plus community, um, uh, performers from ethnic minorities, women, those are shows by all different sorts of people. But we absolutely need to make sure this fringe remains open to everyone and affordable to everyone. Um, because it's the best thing in the world. Good. Well, that's a fantastic note to end on. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen, the amazing John Robbins! <laughs> Thank you very much. We're back tomorrow with Janine Garofalo. I mean, come on. What do you want? Come and see that. Thank you very much. to Rahulastapa from the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring, and my fantastic guest, who I know you know who it was. I'm not going to tell you again. You're not stupid. Thank you to Scamp Regard for playing this music. I'm indebted to my technician and friend, Reese Thomas. I'm also indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, and to all the fantastic crew at the ballroom, at the assembly rooms, and everyone at the assembly rooms in Edinburgh. What a fantastic lot of people you are. Thanks for all your help. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStripe.com production.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for listening. Go to GoFasterStripe.com for all your download needs. Thank you to Chris Evans, as always. Not that one, uh, for the spectacular work he does on all of these podcasts. Uh, RichardHerring.com for all your gigs needs as well. Thanks for listening. Listen to another one. Go on, I dare you.